Thunder Media. Supercars were in Wanneroo last weekend and Sam Scafidi got a podium with his driver, James Courtney, at the end of three races. We spoke to him about the data, the workload, and how you back up each day, particularly after a night race. It is sometimes very overwhelming to be able to get through everything and feel like you've accomplished all your checks and balances before you move on with the next day. We look at engineering supercars in 2022 and how Sam Scafidi became an engineer in supercars as well. I hope you'll stay with us. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. This program is brought to you by P1 Australia Racing Components, the designer of the oil heat mats for dry sump tank applications. Find out more about the truths on engine oil heating at p1australia.com. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Um, okay, well, I think we'll just get straight into it because uh, there's obviously lots of good good things that come out of the weekend for you and uh, James. So when you're ready, <coughs> Craig, welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel, and we're joined by a man who had to uh, suffer the uh, ignominy of getting up at 1 o'clock in the morning to get on a plane and get back to Melbourne. Sam Scafidi, engineer on James Courtney's. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, Sam. Hi, Tony. Uh, yeah. You had a podium in your last one, so it, uh, you're in a pretty good frame of mind, I imagine. Uh, yeah, it was a good way to sum up the round of Barbagallo there. Uh, the podium has been coming for a little while. Like We were on for a podium at AGP if it wasn't for the tangle at the last corner there with car 25. But yeah, it's it's been good, good showing of pace for us sort of thing. So we're, we're kind of building the consistency in the package now and hopefully we can carry that through for a few more podiums for the rest of the year. Now, while you were with Jack LeBrock last year with the truck assist car, was it the truck assist was his sponsor? Yeah, correct. Yeah, I was with Jack on car five last year, which was um, the sponsor on that car was Truck Assist. And of course, now you've got a uh, moving target with snowy river caravans and various other uh, different uh, colour schemes. Is it the car, the same one that uh, Jack drove last year? Yep, yep. It's the exact same chassis. It's just, uh, we've just changed drivers. The numbers remain the same on the door and yeah, just subbed in James for this year. Yeah, I mean, two very different characters because... Um, uh, <laughs> One couldn't yeah. sprint out the door quick enough to get <laughs> to get to a microphone. The other one says, oh, look, can I talk later? <laughs> James brings a different fix to things, doesn't he? Um, yeah, I suppose the biggest differences with James and Jack is there's a very different experience level there. Like uh, James has kind of been there and done it and he's won a championship and bits and pieces. So, yeah, his, his experience within supercars is um, vastly that of Jack's and, yeah, he brings a fair bit to the table with that side of things. So he can... His uh, feedback is definitely very good. Like he, he can tell you exactly what's going on with the car, which kind of makes my job a little bit easier. So both pre-briefs and debriefs work well for you in terms of him being able to give you an input on what he's talking about with the car, what he needs, and then what he's getting. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And I suppose that's that's kind of where you need to be um, at the moment within supercars is be right on top of each other's feedback and what you're putting into the car and how that's translating to what he's feeling in the car. Like you need to be able to get a good establishment of what he needs out of the car to be able to tune it for what he needs. So yeah, he's, um, his feedback's definitely, definitely very valuable and it's proving to kind of point us in the right direction at the moment. One of the things I've always noticed with drivers, I'm sure you'd know it well, is the hands. The description that comes through the hands from a driver <laughs> on what the car's doing <laughs> um, and, yeah. and James, because he is he is extrovert and he's somebody who who wants to tell you what is, what's happening. I imagine that's a big part of it as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, body language is a big part of the feedback as well. So, yeah, it's it's funny how you can get a fair bit out of their body gestures and bits and pieces as well. So, yeah, any any little bit of feedback is much appreciated. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely a big part of the game is the feedback itself. Sam, you're approaching your 10th year. Next year will be your 10th year in the sport. Can you talk a little about how you got to motorsport and what has driven you through the different ranks and doing all the studies that you did to now get to this position? Uh, yeah, so the way I got into motorsport, I, I actually grew up in Shepparton, grew up on a farm, um, did have a lot of hands-on stuff with uh, with my old man in the workshop sort of thing, and that drove me to uh, kind of continue in the path of becoming a mechanical engineer. So from there, went to uni, uh, went to uni in RMIT here in Melbourne, um, studied uh, mechanical engineering, and when I was at uni, I got involved with a student project that they call Formula SAE, so which involves a, a bunch of university students um, designing and building a race car, and then kind of the end of that year, you take that race car to a race meeting, similar to what we do in supercars, and you put that up against other universities, and you present the design side of things, so it's more orientated around the engineering of the car and present all that. And, yeah, you that there kind of drove me to um pursuing it a bit further and then from there i got in contact with a few people within the sport uh which were alumni of the university and yeah that's how i got my foot in the door originally at cali racing all those years ago so did work experience there then progressed through to lucas umbrella motorsport worked there for 12 months and finally moved across to for performance racing it was back then and stayed there ever since so Went pretty much from the ground up, so like started as a data engineer and, um, yeah, eventually progressed through. Did my first year of race engineering in the DVS program and, yeah, it was actually the first year I did that was with Josh Keane and uh, also had a hand with Anton De Pasquale when he was at Paul Morris's program then eventually progressed into supercars. If I can take you back to your Formula SAE days, Ron Taranak was the patron of that program. Did you have any opportunity during that time to speak with Ron, who is possibly the greatest race car builder this country's ever produced? Uh, I did, actually. And at the time, I, funnily enough, I didn't really know who he was until until we met and I went away and did a bit of research on him. But, yeah, that was, that was a great chat. We were actually talking about... Um, the suspension design on the car that we built and I, I had a big hand in designing all of that. And yeah, it was a great, fascinating chat because he drew a lot of similarities to some of the cars he's built um, with the design we presented that year. And he was giving us suggestions on how to make it better and what to consider next time. And 
Um, yeah, because at the time, like you're a student, you don't know everything. And he pointed out a few fundamental flaws in our design and how we could have improved that. And yeah, I was really cherished that chat sort of thing because that probably drove me to becoming kind of the engineer I am today. And um, a lot of those concepts I implement today in some of the designs that we use in supercars. So, yeah, no, it, it was great to meet him at that point in time. I just really wish I knew who he was a bit better before I met him. It's always the way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It is also fascinating that you've gone through the engineering path. We've been looking over the last couple of weeks at the mechanical and the technical path, the TAFE path, because of the situation where you would be experiencing it at your at your level, where you're having a lot of trouble in bigger teams or in teams in supercars post-COVID to be able to get technicians back in who might have left the sport and you're having to do a lot of training and a lot of development now. Yeah, 100%. It's, um, it's been pretty tough and even prior to the COVID period sort of thing, like we, we do supercars is a, a very demanding sport and, um, and, a, and a job just in general. So even staff retention on any level within the sport has been a bit difficult. So you really cherish the guys that you do have. And yeah, just with COVID uh, kind of putting a delay on people coming back to work and anyone that gets struck down with COVID, they're essentially out for seven days. So yeah, it's, it is very difficult to get on top of those things and manage the workload with reduced staff levels and bits and pieces. So yeah. And, and the job of a supercar mechanic sounds glamorous. But yeah. it, it actually isn't as glamorous as it sounds. Yes, you get to see a lot of the country, but that's mainly airport, hotel, and racetrack. Yeah, hundred percent. It's um, it's very demanding. Like, uh, at most times, you feel sorry for the guys, sort of thing, because we we throw a raft of changes at them. They're working in the heat of the moment. Uh, they've expected to do pit stops. Like they're under an immense amount of pressure. Let alone a lack of sleep and all the other thing that comes with uh, the job itself. It, yeah, it does. I, I get it looks glamorous on the surface, but yeah, they do uh, a lot of work. Of, yeah. So we're very grateful for the guys that we've got on our team at the moment. We, everyone talks about the driver engineer partnership, but I know that the engineer mechanical team partnership is every bit as, is critical. And whilst the driver and these days, the engineer are getting a lot more credit your ability to be able to communicate with chief first and second mechanics on a change and to be able to do that quickly and succinctly is a shorthand skill that's learned. It's not necessarily a natural process. Yeah, 100%. That, it's, all, it's all about the trust, really, the trust and the communication level you can build up between each other because I need to be able to um, – rely on the fact that my number one mechanic knows exactly what I'm talking about when I'm relaying a change to him because it is all verbal communication. A whole lot of times in a session, you're not writing stuff down. So you're telling him to do things. And then the same with the team manager with, um, with Matty in our circumstance, he's been around for a long time. So he knows exactly what we're on about when we want to make a change. And sometimes he can read forward in the situation when he's listening to the communication between driver and engineer sort of thing, he can work out roughly what the next change is going to be. So to have that sort of experience level within your mechanical team or your technician group sort of thing is, is another step above. It does give you a bit of an advantage because you're able to essentially do changes that other teams that are not quite experienced are able to do. So yeah, it is a, it is a big part of being able to um, get ahead in the sport. 
as you were coming up through the ranks, as you mentioned, you started off at Kelly's as junior engineer, going through the data engineers, now chief. At what point did you realise that management skills, people management were critical as car engineering skills? Straight away, like it's it's funny because people go, oh yeah, you're you're a race engineer. Um, that must have been a big shock to the system. But you can kind of see right from junior level, because even when you're a junior guy, you your communication skills have to be really high, and your confidence levels have got to be really high as well, because you are trying to translate if there is any issues with the car to mechanics and to um, to your managers and bits and pieces. So. Uh, yeah, right from the get-go, you could see the communication is a big key, uh, a big key component to the way you need to be able to operate at a high level in this sport. And of course, Sam, your uh, truck's on its way back. You're the cruise all back. You haven't had your debrief yet, have you? From the weekend? No, we, no, we haven't had debrief yet. That's uh, that's for tomorrow. And you'll be sort of scrambling then to get the uh, truck back on the road. For a test at Winton next week? Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of lot of data to go through. Obviously, the next round is Winton. Um, there is a test coming up at Winton. So, yeah, it is, it's a big scramble to go through all the data and to try and come up with what you think is going to be the best combination going forward, especially to optimise a car at Winton. So, yeah, we definitely want to get through that as quick as possible. There are already coming out of the weekend. Um, we've come up with new ideas that we need a test sort of thing. Uh, there's stuff that's Barbagallo has highlighted that could be an issue or well, not an issue, but something that could be optimized within our package. So yeah, we go away, we come up with new ideas, we'll make new bits and then test them at Winton. Is there too much data? Can you actually lose <laughs> yourself in the ones and zeros? Ah, there's never too much data. No, you you can, and um, especially with our the way our cars are, like there are a lot of sensors, there are a lot of data, and there's not a whole lot of time. And I suppose that's the biggest thing, especially with the two day formats, like what we saw at Barbagello. Um, you've got a night race, then essentially that night race, you've got a curfew. From there, you go home, and then you expect to be on track at nine o'clock the next morning. So. Yeah, sometimes it is very easy to get lost and you then sometimes you've really got to rely on what the driver's telling you. So yeah, it it is sometimes very overwhelming to be able to get through everything and feel like you've accomplished all your checks and balances before you move on with the next day. What was it like at that first test where James jumped out of the car, said XYZ, and you looked at the squiggly lines and went, Yeah, that's what it's showing there. I know <laughs> what I've got with my driver because a lot yep. of drivers can jump out of the car and go Y, A, B, and you're looking at X, Y, Z on the screen. Yeah, so I suppose with that, though, James has been a part of the team for a couple of years now, so it's not like I don't know what James is talking about. We are we do run four cars, and he's been within the engineering group, and all the engineers converse amongst all the drivers. It's not like we go away, work on one team sort of thing, and then come back and put to the group. So all all the engineers and all the drivers, they're kind of across each other's programs and they know what each other's talking about. So it's not like it was kind of – it was night and day different. Um, it was kind of just good to be able to get through that test day and run through a raft of changes and go, yep, that's what I expected it to do, and he's backing that up. So – it's more how you relate what he's saying to what you think is coming out of the data. And have you had many of experiences where the feedback you're getting, the verbal and, and, and visual as Tony likes it, the arms waving feedback, have been polar opposite to what the, the data said? 
Um, I have had a couple of instances of that. And generally when that happens, that's when you start looking for kind of bigger, bigger issues, like more mechanical issues, something being broken or, um, sometimes it, it could be a sensors out of calibration or something like that. So yeah, that's, I suppose that's where you need to be smart enough to go, okay, where, where does this kind of translate from being an actual issue with the car mechanically to something I need to tune within the setup? And is there a big difference in your mind between a, a driver who has an engineering background and I think someone like Cameron Hill in Dunlop Series who has been running his own teams, has been that team manager and engineering cars. I think a Brody Kostecki who's got a lot of engineering skill through his oval track days where he had to do a lot of that himself compared to the pure driver who just, he's got a helmet and he jumps in a car and drives it, whatever it is he turns up that weekend. Yeah, well, I feel like with drivers at this level, like they don't really make it to this level unless they have some sort of basic engineering understanding of what the car's doing. So um, I think it's pretty rare that you'll find a driver that doesn't know kind of what a spring is or what a ARB is or anything like that. Uh, obviously, there's different levels of that. Like a good example is kind of like Thomas Randall within our team has an engineering background. He's starting to become an engineer and he's quite involved in the kind of the makings of the car. So um, but I feel like it all just comes down to the level of feedback that you're getting out of the driver more so than their engineering understanding of the, of the car. So um, generally, you can uh, have a, a reasonable in-detail chat about what you're making changes to on the car, and the driver will understand what you're doing, and he has some sort of um, kind of feedback or what his thoughts are on that change. So, yeah, it's sometimes yes, sometimes no. Well, Sam, I uh, hope you get plenty of good sleeps before your test day and that you have a terrific debrief. There's obviously going to be a bit of uh, work done on the the next uh, Barbagello as to how we uh, tackle that last corner onto a pit straight, won't there be? Uh, yeah, it was. It's a bit interesting. Like I think that's been around forever and a day. That issue, sort of thing. It's obviously got a bit of highlight over that previous weekend with um, with Cam Waters and that race win that he didn't get. So I'm not sure what what they plan on doing there, or if they're going to make a, a rule change or whatever it is. But yeah, it's I can't really see there being much change otherwise to track limits or anything like that so yeah we'll just see what comes out of it and go from there Sam Scafidi thank you for joining us again on Inside Supercars look forward to catching up at the Witten round and uh, enjoy the test day before then thank you thanks guys see you later Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device search Inside Supercars The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.